Welcome to the Hidden White Podcast. This is episode 843, my interview with Buster Benson. We discuss his new book, Why Are We Yelling? Enjoy. G'day, Buster, and welcome to the Hidden White Podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So excited to have you. Yeah. Whereabouts are you in the world? I am in Berkeley, California. California. Uh, currently in a little cubicle, so just uh, hopefully quiet enough to, <laughs> to do this. Okay. So where are you working? I work um, at WeWork, actually, sort of near the University of California, Berkeley, um, and uh, it's a beautiful place. Like, there's like I go on long walks on campus, you know, around a lot of restaurants and stuff. It's sunny all the time, so I enjoy it. Um, I know that WeWork has been in the news a lot recently, so um, <laughs> they're they're an interesting company as well. But okay. I like their I like their space. Talk talk us about the company. What's it all about? Oh, so I'm I'm. You know, I'm, I'm. I mean, I'm an author. I used to be um, a. I used to be in tech. So mm-hmm. most recently, I was. You know, at uh, Slack and Patreon and Twitter. Um, long time ago, I was at Amazon. Amazon as well. Right now, yeah. yeah. Right now, I'm just uh, writing books, and I have a. I have a company called 750words.com that is a private journaling website that, you know, is a subscription five bucks a month, and you can do your morning pages and brain dump all your thoughts into there. And um, from there, sort of like it's sort of like this, you know, written meditation, and there's badges and you get streaks and stuff like that. And I've been running that for about ten years as well. That's pretty cool. And what is the fruitful zone? Fruitful zone was a um, an attempt to build a community around friendly and diverse converse, uh, sort of disagreement. Uh, so trying to find people that were, you know. You know, on opposite sides, you know, are on multiple sides of, of the political spectrum, and to create a friendly community where we can actually talk about things um, in a safer space. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was really, you know, it was a big experiment that I ran, um, and it's currently like in the middle of um, being revamped. But I think that there's so much, you know, it's so hard to find communities that actually try to do this. Um, and so I just try to do it myself. Yeah, nice one. And it sort of links with, with your work as yes. well. Disagreement. Yes, I, mean, I had to test a lot of these ideas out, and that was like one of the one of the main test beds for that. So productive disagreement. I mean, a lot of experience there. Your end. I know a little bit of of your backstory, but with those particular companies, what was your involvement in in having these discussions and conversations and and managing it or leading it? Yeah, I I know I was a product manager for mm. most of my career, like twenty years, and. Um, Okay. The job of the product manager is oftentimes hard to define, but a big part of it uh, that I really zeroed in on is this idea of like facilitating conversations. So you're really talking with engineers and designers and marketers and CEOs and CTOs and uh, the customers and the clients and the partners and all these people who have completely different incentives, completely different measurements for success. Mm-hmm. And you have to work together and, and produce something that everyone ends up being happy with. And that was my job for, you know, at, at these various companies. Um, so I kept Twitter, you know, I was building the analytics tools so that people could see, so that small businesses could see um, how much, how many times people had seen their tweets, which was something that didn't exist for a long time. Mm. Um, at Slack, I built a platform to build apps and stuff so that partners and developers and users could all sort of collaborate together. Um, and at Patreon, I was sort of doing the same thing, trying to build a platform for creators, people that are trying to make a living from their creative work to make money better uh, from directly from their audience instead of having to go through a distribution channel like yeah. Uh, 
publisher or, or, or a label. So that's sort of what my the content of my work was. But you know, the day to day was oftentimes just like, okay, well, here are all these. Here's a big problem. It's like you know, there's not enough time. It's going to take too long. It's not going to be high enough quality. How do we get out of this um, with everyone being happy? <laughs> so lots of practice disagreeing with people and helping find that you know common ground. So uh, yeah, healthy collaboration, which is probably critical for a uh, successful launch of a product or um, innovation, creativity, all those things. Yeah, and it works really well. I I think that, you know, the tech companies and, you know, a couple other different markets really have an advantage in sort of exploring the space because there's an incentive to be to have a productive disagreement, right? Like when money's involved, you can always invest in in, in this. And so a lot of tools have been developed uh, about how to do this. Um, the problem is we don't apply that those tools to our everyday conversations. We don't apply yeah. it to like our dinner table conversations or our social media conversations or even just like how we think about our politics in general. So that was really my goal. It's like let's apply it to the rest of our of our day. And I was and just about just, to go there. I think that's you know where I could come in and relate. And I know probably most of the listeners could. Um, right. I'm just thinking you know we're coming into Christmas time and there's going to be more family gatherings and these conversations yeah. about whatever politics global warming you know all these different things um could just be minor things as well but i certainly can uh, relate to having experiences where what could have been a productive you know enjoyable conversation ended up in some emotional heat and disagreements and people yelling um yeah. people walking yeah. away very uncomfortable um and certainly you know at the end of it pointless and it sort of leaves me feeling like why do i even want to get involved in conversations like this if that's where it's going to potentially head and that's what exactly. happens i think we just then avoid it totally yeah you just described the full sort of cycle of from like you know feeling frustrated to trying to you know uh have a conversation or a debate about it seeing it go so poorly and then ultimately giving up and saying like hey i'm not going to even talk about this with you anymore because it's futile and that's how a lot of us are feeling about mm. so many different topics i found um you know, so I, th- I mean, that is a that's not a happy way to live. I think, and so that's sort of the thing I would like to try to help people uh, get unstuck on um, with this stuff. Yeah, not a happy way to live, and and certainly not progressive. Right. I guess right. healthy but, conversation and collaboration is is why we progress. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, a disagreement is you know there's a problem, and if you avoid the disagreement, then that problem's not going to get solved. Um, whether it be about you know just like political policy decisions or if it's like interpersonal relational decisions or you know getting along with your boss like all these things are if the problem exists like the real the real best outcome that makes it productive is to fix the problem um and a disagreement is one of the tools that we use to do that and one of the only tools we can use is it always a problem um, I would say it's a disagreement. So, so a difference in perspective is often how I like the most like clinical sort of definition for this yeah. would be is like there's two perspectives they disagree, and if that disagreement is unacceptable, then that's a that's an argument, um, and so it's an opportunity to um, resolve that in some form, and it doesn't have to be a painful process. And oftentimes we 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 have venues of our lives where we can do this without any without any pain at all. Um, and it's, it's, it is enjoyable, but, you know, when we think about some topics like, you know, politics, religion, um, work, family, all that stuff, it becomes, we just go into this mode. It's like, okay, well, I know I've, I've seen this fail before. I'm going to just assume it's going to fail. And I'm already going to go in there sort of cringing and defending myself. So, um, it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. A lot of egos at play in these sort of things. 
Yeah, yeah. And but you know, well, it's uh, all ego, isn't it? The flip side of that is is vulnerability, right? I think that the things that really spark our anxiety and make us frustrated always point mm. back to a value or a belief or you know some something inside that you know we care about and something that's important to us. And when those things are threatened, we feel vulnerable, and then we get, uh, you know, we that can be ego to like protect your own vulnerabilities, but um, flip it around, and it's actually you know, something really important to us. It's actually the thing that actually defines us in a lot of ways. Um, our identity, our, you know, our, our need to be heard, um, our need to connect, and all these other things that, you know, aren't bad at all. And we should we should um, try to pull them out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I wonder how much of the ego is protecting a part of us that is important and how much it's mm-hmm. just, you know, trying to, to win and have the one-up in a conflict. Yeah. I think there are two sides of the same coin. I mean, I honestly think that no one is trying to um, build an ego purely for ego's sake. There's always some form of like identity, some form of like, I have, I don't feel heard. I don't feel understood. Um, this thing that is really important to me is being neglected um, on some level. And, you know, we, we turn that sort of feeling of, of like vulnerability into, you know, a, a, you know, a clenched fist and a, and a loud voice, but um, there is a seed of a wish, you know, for the world to be better and different and to be more accepting um, below that. Uh, I guess that's that why it turns to uh, shame and blame sort of tactics and bullying and, you know, all those sort of things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a way to deal we, with it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, evolutionarily, like, you know, it hasn't always been the case that we need to have productive disagreements. You know, um, if you look to, you know, animals, they don't try to, you know, talk out, you know, who gets to build their nest in this tree. Like whatever bird is larger, they can just take the tree and, and you know, peck the other one out. Um, so like there's some hard wiring in us that's like very, very old. That's like fight or flight is, is a way to resolve disagreements. Um, but oftentimes in those situations, you don't have to deal with them ever again, right? Like you just, you prove your point, they go away. Um, now we live in a world where you can't, there's nowhere else for people to go. If you, if you shun someone, if you outcast them and exile them, hmm. they find a new community and now they don't like you and they're going to build up, you know, their strength again to come back in the future and, 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 uh, you know, get retribution. So there's the, maybe a short term benefit to pushing people away. Um, but longer term, it's going to come back and get you. Um, there's always, you know, I use the analogy of weeds in a garden in the book, and you know this idea like you could, if you're just like if your garden is filled with weeds, you just like yank them all out. Yeah, um, they might be gone for a while, but they have deep roots and they have bulbs under the ground, and they're going to come back twice as strong next season um, because that's sort of you know how they reproduce. <laughs> and mm. um, the same thing happens with with disagreements. Like you can shut someone up, but it's going to come back twice as strong next time. Yeah, well, it's not not creating any uh, harmonious relationships, and that's pretty important. Yeah. What, um, I mean, are there conversations or, or disagreements, I suppose, that we would just avoid or would be pointless from the get-go? Or do you think they're all sort of things that, you know, deserve conversation and healthy debate? Yeah, I think this is a, this is a really important question because it, it is currently the, the case where we think that there are things that are not worth, you know, disagreeing about. You know, some of the the criticism of productive disagreement, um, which I'm really interested in hearing, is are things like you know it validates the other side, it gives them a stage. If you, you know, if you bring every crazy person onto your show and then you know let them espouse their beliefs, some people are just going to hear that and that's going to spread the message. Um, uh, 
So I would say that you know there is a case to be made that not every single perspective should just be given a big platform. But I think it's important for us to under try to understand every perspective, um, and not just assume that it's you know a, a baseless uh, perspective that has no humanity in it. Um, and so I would say like you know if you're confronting someone that's very ideolo- ideologically different from you, um, you know if they're you know, not going to kill you and they're not going to like threaten your safety immediately. Um, there is a value to having a discussion with them and mm. trying to understand where they're coming from. Um, of course, if your safety is threatened, then that's different, but, um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I would sort of look at it from, and I guess this is maybe a tactic that I, I sort of approach these kind of things with is looking at from what's, you know, my values, I suppose. And I'm open to listening to different sides of the, you know, different perspectives, um, but also yeah. I'm, I'm aware of, you know, where I want to spend my energy and time. And, and I think how I approach some of these things is just by sitting there and listening and rather than immediately, you know, firing up about something that's said is just mm-hmm. taking it on board and then sort of removing myself from that conversation after that without judgment or well, maybe there is a little bit of judgment there, I guess, but only human, but, you mm-hmm. know, try not to get too involved in the conversation if, if it's, something that I don't want to spend too much more time in. Listen, be open, take away their perspectives, and then, you know, remove myself. Absolutely, yeah. And I I think, you know, I've noticed that, like, podcast hosts are actually really good at at asking questions and listening because it's, it's sort of your the thing that, you know, you're doing as, mm. you know, as a profession. Um, and I think that's a skill that is is a key to having these productive disagreements is, is, is practicing the skill of asking questions and listening. Um, the benefit being also that like when someone's like coming at you with some kind of crazy idea or something you disagree with, um, you don't have to necessarily think of the perfect rebuke to it. Um, if you could ask a good question, you can ask a question like, Oh, wow, it sounds like you're angry. You know, where is that coming from? Like, what are, what what do you feel like it's threatened? Where where did this belief come from? Mm. How is this belief useful? You don't have to actually think on your toes if you have the right questions. And, um, then you're going to learn something because oftentimes they probably misunderstand you as much as you misunderstand them. And by asking a question, hearing about what they're, where they're coming from a little bit, um, you learn about, that a little bit more, and you might not be as quick to 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 assume that they're um, wrong. Um, yeah, but yeah, so many arguments are not about a fact or a piece of evidence or information that you can go out and find and confirm. Most of the things are about, you know, what do you think is important? And there's no amount of information that you can go find that will prove that it's important to care about, you know, yeah. these people or you know this this you know project or whatever it is. I guess it's what is it empathetic listening if if you're listening on that level I guess the other person feels like now they are being heard and their yes. identity has been um you know shared and, and appreciated and totally. then from there once you know that builds the trust of of whatever conversation or relationship you're in and hopefully from there you can ask and go back with some um questions if you want to counter some of of their points um, and they're yeah. going to take it on board with the with the greater ease rather than jumping in there and not listening and you know fighting back straight away. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I really like the the old like advice to like understand first and then be understood. Yeah. Um, so like just you know listening is is a great first step, and um, you know we all want to be heard. We all want to um, 
you know, why are we yelling is oftentimes like, oh, I, no one's listening to me. I want someone to listen to me. So I'm going to start yelling. I'm going to start hitting. I'm going to start being mean. Um, but that's not the goal wasn't to hit you. The goal was to be heard. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So where do we start? Like what are, what are some of the tools, I suppose, or the framework that you share yeah. that we could, you know, benefit from? Yeah. Um, so I, the book is framed around these eight things to try, and each of the things to try is is a pretty specific um, conversational habit that we can introduce into any conversation um, to, to to try to navigate them a little bit better. And the, the goal is like if you try these things, even if you get like five percent better at having productive disagreements, that five percent will be exponentially magnified by like all the different kinds of conversations that you have in all the different contexts. So, um, so for example, the first one is focused on, um, sort of watching how anxiety sparks, um, you know, people familiar with mindfulness and journaling and that kind of thing are familiar with this idea that like, you know, the trigger, right. The trigger is the thing that sets you off and says like, okay, well, I'm now upset. Uh, something bad, someone went wrong on the internet and I have to go correct them. Um, and but instead of correcting them, if you if you actually use that as a signpost to look to look backwards and be like, okay, well, I'm upset now. What part of my value system was threatened? Right. Um, was it that I don't feel safe? Was it that I feel don't like that I feel threatened? Is it, was it that I, um, you know, someone someone seems to be wanting to hurt someone? Like whatever it happens to be, um, use that to find your value, and then from there you can ask like, hey, did you mean to? Um, say that this, you know, this value that I have really strongly is, is incorrect or, um, and at least, so that's a good way to, um, try to find a common ground without having to, um, change the topic because oftentimes their goal and whatever they were saying was about something else. And they'll say, Oh, absolutely not. That wasn't about, it wasn't about that. It was about this other thing. And then you can be like, okay, well, I don't feel threatened by that. So I don't have to argue with you. Um, All right. So, so that's, that's, that's sort that's of first self understanding. So when you're in that situation and you feel that emotion or anxiety level raise, it's first like in a reflection and it's figuring out why this has mm-hmm. triggered that response in you. Yeah, and I, I had a couple startups that were all about behavior change, and the, the trigger is always the best place to put a new habit because something that happens repeatedly can become a hook, right, to to start a new behavior. Um, and so there's lots of ways to use this kind of hook to, um, even if you don't catch it in the moment, you can still go back you know, after the fact and be like, okay, well, let's rewind the clock to that moment when they said something that you know really sparked my anxiety and either journal about it or think about it and then sort of tease it apart a little bit. And if we do this long enough, like I've done this, I've done private journaling for, for 10 plus years. Um, and you start writing them down after the fact, the next day when you, when you begin to be in an argument, um, you might think, Oh shoot, I'm going to have to write about this tomorrow. Um, and instead of, and so it's, it's, it's a hook. And then you can say, Oh, instead of just continuing to do this as I was going to do it, why don't I try to change the way that I, I do this so that I don't have to write about the same thing I wrote about 10 times before um, and, and try something different. So mm. it's a really slow way to like iterate and practice um, this this uh, hook. Um, and so that's where the book begins. Um, there's Chapter two is about talking to your internal voices. We all have these 
different kinds of internal voices. Some of them are about, you know, dominating with power or teasing apart with reason. Um, the one you mentioned before, like avoidance, is like saying like, okay, well, I've, I know this isn't going to work, so I'm just going to leave the conversation. Um, and the fourth one that I talk about is the voice of possibility around you know, if you feel stuck in a conversation or a relationship or a topic, just ask like, what am I missing? Like, what have I not found out yet that is causing me to be stuck? And it turns the frustration of being stuck into a curiosity about what you might be missing. And you can actually use people that are different from you as a source of ideas for what you are missing because they're there saying like hey you're not stuck you, you should just come over to my side um you can ask them like well tell me more like how do i get there um and and you can ask questions that can sort of bring you out of that stuck feeling mm. um, there's a chapter about developing honest bias so i the genesis of this book was um, very much sparked by um, an attempt to synthesize all 200 cognitive biases into a single um, sort of easy to understand framework. Um, and so that chapter is all about not not unbiasing yourself, but learning to live with bias and sort of learning how to repair the damage the bias causes um, in conversations, because that's where it becomes the most um, damaging, I suppose, because that's when we try to try to win. Right. Yeah. And biases are very useful for that. Um how yeah. do we how do we accept different bosses? How do we accept them? Um, so I think the the key is to to think of it as um, you know you don't have to necessarily accept them, but you do have to um, live with them, right? Hmm. <laughs> um, so the the easiest way to again, um, but do you share them with the other person, or is it is it important to share your bias and? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great that's a great thing to do if you're aware of it, right? Like you you could go into, you know, any situation and be like, hey, you know, you know, I, I use the example of like hi, like creating a hiring loop for for a role, right? Um, you can go into the process and say like, hey, like I only know people that are at this school and from these two companies, and I know I can hire my friends, but like I want to reach more people. Um, so how can how can we sort of you know. It, increase the top of the funnel pipeline for this hiring process, whatever it happens to be. Um, and you can use people to sort of help you become unbiased by admitting that like, yeah, my, my, my shortcuts, my go-to sort of strategies for this task are, are, are biased, are limited. So um, other people can sort of help open that up. And if you can get into a mindset where you're trying to notice the, the effects of bias, instead of just trying to squash them, um, you can actually find a lot more and repair them as they go. Um, and that's sort of the, the advice I give is like, just, you know, move to a, a, a mode where you're just trying to repair the damage that it causes mm-hmm. um, and look for the damage and then repair it. Um, and that's more direct than trying to somehow magically change your brain. So you don't have to, so you don't have these biases in the first place. I think it creates that level of, you know, showing all vulnerability, I guess, expression right. of vulnerability and, and creating that high level of trust. Yeah, as well. yeah, 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 and it's really easy. If you want to be less biased, most likely your brain's just gonna be like, "Okay, I'm just gonna hide all the instances of you being biased from you, so you so you think you're less biased." Um, if you want to, you know, see bias and, and find it to fix it, then your brain's gonna be like, "Okay, I'm gonna highlight all the things that are that are affected by this," and it's just a different way of looking at the world, um, and yeah, less likely to become blinded by that. That's great. Yeah. Uh, so the next so. There's a couple other chapters. One of them is about speaking for yourself instead of projecting what you think other people are thinking. Um, there's a chapter on asking questions that spark Sorry, just go it. to the uh, speaking for yourself part. Oh, sure. What, what do you yeah. mean by that? 
So this is um, when I was running Fruitful.Zone, um, this was a thing that happens a lot in political conversations specifically, um, where you might say something like, um, oh, man, all those Trump supporters are um, thinking this and they're doing this for this reason. Um, rather than doing that, um, think about what you're doing. And if you want to talk, if you want to find out what Trump supporters think and are doing, you should bring one in. Right. Um, the same goes for liberals or if you think, that, you know, whatever your whatever the enemy is out there. Um, don't try to imagine what they're what they think or what they do. Um, yeah. Just find one and then ask them why they do what they do, um, and let them speak for themselves, and uh-huh. hopefully speak for yourself with them. And that's the only way to have a real productive dialogue because otherwise that person's not there to talk back to you and to surprise you right, right with with information about what their intentions are. Um, if you only project, you know, your worst, most uncharitable uh, stereotypes onto a giant group of people. That's never going to surprise you. That's never going to lead to new information because it's purely conjured up by your head. Um, so, yeah, it's like really making sure that the people that you're arguing with are in the room <laughs> and that you're speaking about your own perspective and letting them speak for their perspective. And that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? But that's obviously the, the thing that most people would want to avoid because they want to hold on to their belief and <laughs> find the people that hold on to similar beliefs and, and sort of talk with them rather than finding the, the enemy as such. Yeah, it's a form of, you know, comfortable avoidance, I suppose. You know, when you're feeling frustrated, venting with your with your friends about how terrible somebody else is, is sort of a way to relieve that anxiety. Um, but I wouldn't argue that people don't want to do that, right? Like people mm. don't want to be confused about why people are so evil in the world. <laughs> um, so if there is an opportunity to relieve that, and be like, you know, I often hear this, people saying like, I can't understand how anybody would ever condone that perspective um they must all be racist or they must all be terrible people um but instead of jumping from like i don't understand this to well therefore it must be bad uh, it could be like i don't understand this well let me go find someone that can help me understand where they're coming from Mm. Um, and so that's where this for yourself sort of comes in and it helps you like actually solve that question that you have like i don't understand it and yeah now you can Uh, that's a big part of this podcast actually it's things that i don't understand well enough to bring those people into having those discussions and why Hmm. yeah yeah and we we need other people to do that for us like we're not we don't have all the information um all the time i guess in those situations i mean maybe people are attaching to an ideal outcome for that as well um to make that make more sense you know, we're walking into wanting to understand more, but more so wanting to understand that our belief is still right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think I think if we don't um, examine our motivations, like we, it might look like that's the case. I think um, you know, most of the time, if you ask, if you push people towards an argument, they'll eventually say either, "Oh yeah, I just don't have time to actually." think about this or solve this. So I'm just going to step away or it's like, I don't know how to start. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to talk to. Um, and so both of those things are, um, good excuses to basically just like avoid the conversation. Mm. Uh, and right. so not every, not every disagreement has to be confronted, obviously, but no. if you care enough about it, um, there are better ways to, to make progress. Yeah, but if you want to understand something better, yeah, go speak to that person that, you know, has that counter-argument or belief or whatever it might be. Right. But go in there with 
being, you know, as an open book and, and wanting to curiously learn about that rather than going in there to kind of try and figure out how you can prove that your belief is, is absolutely right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I think a lot of people are going to go in there attempting to make sure that or validate their belief. Absolutely. Yeah. And because we haven't been taught how to argue productively, um, we get, you know, it's intimidating to be confronted with someone like, you know, if it's, if you think it's going to be a battle and you think someone's going to start yelling at you and then you go in there with your shield and your sword and you're ready to fight, um, it's going to be doomed from the start. So how can but we go in there without the built, shield and the sword and, and being more open to, oh, hang on, actually, right. that's a really interesting point. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, potentially altering our, our perspective. Right. And there's many ways to alter a perspective, too. I think I cover that early on in the book is like, you know, most people think of it like, here's here's one position, here's the other first position. I'm not going to change my mind to that position because the way that I think of it is just plainly wrong. Um, but what you can do is you can find a third position or a fourth position or just a bigger, um, wider version of your own perspective that includes parts of theirs. Um, and so there's lots of ways to um, change your mind um, without actually adopting the other side's position. Um, I did this a lot in the book. Like I would go into a, a conversation about guns or hmm. whether or not ghosts exist or what the right immigration policy yeah. with an idea like what was you know, my position. And I would come out not necessarily always changing my mind. Sometimes I did, but most of the time I come out with just like, oh, wow, it's a bigger problem than I thought it was. Oh, there's factors that I didn't quite um, include in my assumption. Oh, the solution I had is it going to work for these reasons that I just learned about? Or, um, and right. so you suddenly have like mm. this bigger perspective. Um, and that's and healthy. I mean, that's exactly that's what super it's about. healthy, mm. right? Yeah. yeah. Nice one. Speaking for yourself. Yeah, speaking for yourself. So five, the fifth chapter is about asking questions that spark surprising answers. We sort of covered this, like you know, you know, you can ask a question like, you know, um, you know, are you a terrible person because you don't vaccinate your children? Um, or you could say, like, you know, tell me why you don't vaccinate your children. Or I would love to understand, like, what are the circumstances in your life that sort of led you to believe, like, to act this way? Like, I just don't, I don't understand it. Can you help me understand? Um, so one of them is about, you know, giving someone a multiple choice question where you know that one is right and one is wrong. Right. And another one is about, like, creating an open space for them to fill it with a story or fill it with, a, you know, something that you didn't expect and not having a, a, a hard and fast sort of um, belief about um, good and bad going in um so that's 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 one that's i think so, fairly self-explanatory right. that makes sense so, yeah the art of questioning but it is it is an art of questions you know like to ask the right questions and geez it's, it is it's a really good it's, thing to be figuring out how to do but they um the multiple questions are like i've just learned uh yesterday actually about double barrel questions where you have mm. sort of one question that asks one side of the coin and the other was the opposite so you can figure out which way, which path they're on, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. the other one I really like too, and asking the question that actually allows them to open up and share more comfortably. Yes, yes. I mean, it doesn't, the questions are great because they both build trust and once trust is built, opens up new uh, sort of spaces for future answers. So it's, it's sort of like this, you know, incremental process where, like, at the, in the beginning, you might ask pretty neutral questions about, like, oh, tell me more. Like, where did this come from? Um, but as you build trust, you can ask much more pointed questions. You can be like, okay, well, I don't get how this works. Can you explain it to me? Um, and so, yeah, there's just there is an art for sure, but. But it's just questions not. in general, actually. I think in these situations, 
we there's probably a lack of questions. It's probably more yeah. people on the right. offense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite sort of um, conversational, um, uh, I guess, habit that I would I practice um, that's really hard is to don't say anything about yourself, but try to get the other person to ask you mm. a question about yourself, um, because that requires a completely different approach than um, uh, even asking people questions, because you're really just trying you're trying to create enough space that they become curious about you right and that's that's sort of the the process of building trust and building a relationship and and sort of painting a bigger picture making them feel safe all these things have to exist before they're ever going to ask you a question um i find that that quite intimidating actually um i don't know why it is maybe it's just me but certainly when people then start asking questions about me i feel actually a little bit uncomfortable in those situations do you find that what's an what's an example Oh, just when when I'm like in a meeting situation, and then suddenly there's this attention on me and a focus on mm-hmm. me, and someone asks a question about me. Um, right. I suppose just talking about myself without being in control, like you know, to go into a meeting and say, "Lee, I want you to introduce yourself today." Blah blah blah. You, you got permission to talk about yourself, but then when you're in that situation where it's not about that at all, and suddenly everything's on you. And people ask questions about you so you can talk about yourself. That situation I find uncomfortable. Yes. I mean, it does put you on the spot a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think you know, but if someone had gone in and, and sort of built that trust and sort of made it, you know, clear what the sort of context and the usefulness of these these answers are, then then it would be less so. I would say, like, this, this game works for me when there's something I want to share, but I don't want to just blurt it out, right? I don't mm. want to just say, like, oh, yeah, there was a time when I, I, you know, I had this experience that was relevant to this conversation. Don't just say it. Um, see if you can sort of create enough space in the conversation that they ask you about your own experiences. Yeah. Um, so things that you want to share um, rather than just saying them go around this long way. And I find that by going the long way, it sort of forces you to build all the other like sort of um, soft skills, something like that, the trust and the accountability and the openness that are required that would are, you know, generative of productive conversations. Do you think that's achieved by purely asking more questions about them to get them enough interested in, in you as a person or whatever it might be to then, you know, counter, counter ask some questions back to you? Is that the approach? It's a dance. It's a dance. Sometimes it's questions. Sometimes it's um, sort of pausing and sort of reflecting. Sometimes it's, um, you know, just body language. Sometimes there's a lot of there's a lot of factors that can mm. go into into this that sort of create that because um, like oftentimes if you just pepper them with questions, they're just going to be like on rapid fire answering questions. They're never going to have a chance to ask you a question. Um, so you have to build in sort of a cadence and space and pause and let topics sort of shift and um, give them a chance to just dig around for a question. And um, those kinds of things are hard to put on a to-do list, but we have this instinctual um, capacity to create those spaces. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's definitely an art in that, but the the whole idea of pausing and reflecting in conversations rather than just back and forth banter, you know, that's definitely a, a pretty cool tactic. And I, th- I think it's one that many of us wouldn't use because it's uncomfortable to have those pauses and that silence and that reflection moments. Right, right. Yeah, I've I've talked with like documentary filmmakers and they are perf- they are really good at this because they're oftentimes not 
in the film themselves. And they just want the person to like say something, you know, spontaneously. Um, and so I've just I've loved those strategies of just like you know the awkward pause is your is your friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's no, a great great um, great tool. Uh, so that's yeah. asking. Yeah, asking questions. We've come asking off that. Asking questions. Yeah. yeah. Then there's um, sort of the the chapter on building arguments together. Um, so this is um, so if you're doing all these things and uh, you know speaking for yourself and asking good questions, that naturally leads into okay, well, you know, what would it take to build the best argument against my position? And you can. This is a great tactic to take when. You feel pretty confident. I mean, whether regardless of whether you feel pretty confident or not, um, you always want to find the best representative, the most worthy um, sort of articulation of the other side, because that's the one that's most likely to convince you, right? That's one mm-hmm. that you're most likely to learn from. If you go out and find, you know, I call it nut picking. If you want to find like the craziest, most inarticulate, you know, person on the other side, and you just bash them on the head, you're not going to learn anything from them. Yeah. But if you find the person that's like really, really good at articulating their side, they've thought about it even more than you have. You can learn from them. You can help them build their argument, and they can help you build your argument. And that's that true. turns it from a battle into a collaboration. And you oftentimes will find that. Um, you know, there's oftentimes many arguments that you could build um, together, not just the two you came in with, but maybe there's a third one or a fourth one that makes more sense to focus on. So I love this one because it means that I can go into any conversation, whether it's like about flat earth or, you know, <laughs> immigration or uh, politics and be like, OK, well, I want to help you build the best flat earth argument. Um, and and you just be straight up with that, like from the, yeah. from the get go. I think that's great. Yeah, because, mm. yeah. like, you know, the. They, they're not going to be feel threatened by that, right? Like, and and I get to ask them all kinds of questions about their argument to sort of like pull together the evidence, and I can also offer them like, okay, well, that would not necessarily make it stronger because I have this other sort of um, argument against it, you know. So how to defend against that? Um, it turns it into a fun game, um, you know. It definitely yeah. takes an investment of time and energy, but um, it's just another way to. Um, but you're taking you, you, you're taking the de, you know defenses down straight away because you're approaching it from the get go with an agenda, right? And it, it's their agenda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so it's like oftentimes you know in an argument you're you just have two different agendas. One person is talking about something that is important to them, and another person is talking about something that that is that they, they think is a like a, a good practical solution right yeah um and so you're not building in our you're not even talking about the same topic right this is an easy way to, to just like jump into their game and help them um, build that up as much as possible and um it avoids that problem of having two different topics in the same argument sounds like you're in a train station there and what it sounds like you're in a train station there oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> here's some background intercom here? noises or something um, that's cool. So we've got, yeah, building, we've got two more, I think. Yes. Okay. So there's cultivating neutral spaces. So this is, you know, we're talking about, um, sort of what would it take to get someone to ask you a question? Oftentimes it's about cultivating a neutral space. And I, I, th- I think of this in three layers, right? So there's the space of, um, can an, I, new ideas be proposed, um, within this conversation? Can, is it okay to, for me to even say what my perspective is? If someone can't speak for themselves or feels threatened, um, that's not a neutral space. Um, if then there's the, 
our people welcome, our new people, our new perspectives welcome to this conversation? Like, can we can we pull in a Trump supporter? Can we pull in, you know, a conservative? Can we pull in a radical liberal, you know, progressive person? Can we bring in the Antifa? Can we all be here? Um, if we can't, that means there's some kind of bias in the space, and so it's it's still not quite neutral. Um, and then the third one is just the culture itself. Like, is there um, the ability for the space to um, create its own norms and to have sort of a history of of um, sort of being a productive space over time so that people coming in don't have to like build it up from scratch, but actually can just take take advantage of what's already there. So we have a few spaces like this, like the town square was oftentimes considered like this neutral space. Anyone can come and, and talk. Yeah. Um, but it's about, um, you know, the Facebook page, you know, we're, you know, it's, it's not quite as neutral. If you think about, you know, broadcast television, it's not quite as neutral. If you think about, you know, even our presidential debates or um, they're not, they're not neutral at all. Like they're very much uh, agenda driven. Only certain people can talk. Only certain ideas can be said. Um, and there is no like sort of goodwill that lasts from conversation to conversation. Right. But the dinner table is a, is a great neutral space, like the campfire, the long walk, the coffee. Um, oftentimes food being involved helps it become more neutral because we have these sort of old instincts that like we only share food with family. So um, by just like sharing your food with them, breaking bread with them, sometimes that can help right. turn them from, a, from an enemy to a collaborator. Um, and yeah, so I talk about that a lot in that chapter. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Okay. And yeah. the last one? Last one is accept reality and then participate in it. Accept so, reality, right? So this is the culmination of them all, which is basically um, rather than so I, I talk a lot about this um, festival of dangerous ideas, um, which is in Sydney, Australia, every year, and mm. um, and invites people that have really controversial questions to. Um, to speak about them. And oftentimes you'll have two completely different um, perspectives on the same, you know, back to back. Right. Um, and you know, the, the idea is like, you know, there are people that have these different perspectives. We have to accept that they have them. Mm-hmm. We have to accept that, um, you know, they're not going to change their minds about it. Um, so rather than trying to change them, um, participate in the conversation we can't just you know box everyone out and and like sort of shut our ears and say like okay well i don't care about those people they're not important they're wrong and we have to let them in we have to say like okay well even though you know there are many different perspectives and many different incentives for something like climate change yeah we have to accept that no progress is being made right um and so we have to take responsibility for the fact that we're part of that new progress happening. And by participating in it, I mean, like, let's participate in solving the problem directly, even though there's disagreement. And um, we don't have to resolve that, all of that at once. We can actually just start working on the problem together um, rather than just refusing to make progress until the other side concedes defeat. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's the, uh, the ultimate challenge of it all. Yeah, that's the hard one, and that, I think that's the most controversial chapter because like, I include a lot of um, stats and, and studies around um, deplatforming efforts and censorship and exile and you know, um, you know, uh, just all the things that we do to um, lock people out that we don't like. Um, mm. And you know, there is there is a short term gain to all these things, but at the end of the day, we've learned over time that you know they don't go away. Like you know, we 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 can't just um, 
you know, in, in the old days, like you know, pre pre societal days, um, if you kick, if you ostracize someone from your from your tribe or your community, like they're dead, right? <laughs> they don't have another community to go to. Um, they're going to starve to death in, in, the, in the desert, right? Um, and so it was a de- basically a death sentence to yeah. ostracize. Yeah. These days, ostracize someone. It's not a death sentence. They go and find their people, and you know now they don't like you, and they're going to build up you know more strength and come back and get you. So um, that's not going to solve it long term, and it sort of leads to all this polarization that we have now. Is that we're just all pushing people not like us to the edges and forcing them to all band together against us. Um, so even just like from a pure like pragmatic perspective, that's just not working. No, it's saying that we all have to to learn to to do better, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Love it, mate. Look, um, fantastic. I want to encourage – I've got some uh, noise in my background here with kids, I think, and a bit of noise in your background, so we might wrap it up. But um, I want to encourage everyone to jump out there and have a look at the book. So it's Why Are We Yelling? The Art of Productive Disagreement. So, um, yeah, check that out. I'll stick the link in the show notes. This will be released um, – well, this is episode 843. Um, so jump wow. onto com and um, just type in 843 or Buster Benson. And uh, you'll find all the show notes and links there as well. Great. Thank you so much. This is a great conversation. Thanks for coming on, mate. Yeah, great to connect and uh, all the best with the the book and and looking forward to your future work. Thank you. Thank you. Have have a great day. And yeah, thanks again for having me on. Cool, mate. Pleasure. Check it out, guys, at uh, thehiddenwhy.com, 843, Buster Benson. And uh, until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden white this is the hidden white my name is lee manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon